Welcome to the Freeform Rock Podcast. This is your host, frickin' Mark Taylor. Grab a beard, stay a while, and we do anything. We go from all genres, man. We go from Duran Duran and Metallica. So party on, dude. Welcome to the Freeform Rock Podcast. Today we're going to talk about Aerosmith's number one album, their first album from 1973. And we got special guest on today, Lee Gershman. Say hi, Lee. Hey, how you doing, Mark? I'm doing great, man. I'm a little bit high on some whiskey and coke. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I'm kind of a little bit buzzed on some vodka and coffee. Cool, we'll have some good times on reviewing this, this uh, album from 1973. Aerosmith's breakthrough album, but really didn't sell well <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fact, I am at the, when it came out, when it came out, I hadn't even heard of them. I heard of them a little bit later, but not then. Well, I was three when it came out, so I wasn't really, oh. listening. <laughs> I wasn't really listening to anything back then. Yeah. Um, 1973, I was about eight. Eight, I was three. You're five oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but Aerosmith has been my all-time favorite group. My mom got me an Aerosmith. So how did you get an Aerosmith, though? Oh, yeah. Um, what happened was um, my brother Steve, um, he was living in Hawaii for a while. And then when he came back, well, at the time he came back, I was about, like, maybe um, 9 or 10 and um, I had just gotten into KISS, and I would play KISS. And for a while, my brother Steve lived with us because um, he was he was saving up money to get his own place, which he finally did. But when he stayed with us, um, he let me listen to his albums, and he wouldn't really borrow mine because he didn't really like the albums that I had. But I liked the music he had, but... Um, I was playing Kiss, and he said, back in Hawaii, um, the groups that that they liked were either Kiss or Aerosmith. And he said, I hate Aerosmith. And, you know, that's what he said. And I didn't know who they were. But then I went, um, we were living in Marin County at the time. And then we went to a Foster's Freeze, and they had uh, a single of Aerosmith. They had Dream On, and they had some other song, which I, I don't even know what the other song was. But I put my quarter in and listened to Dream On, and that was my first exposure to them. And the taste in my mouth of that song at that time, I was about, like, maybe nine. I was more into, like, um, uh, well... To me, it wasn't that heavy. I was maybe a little bit more into Ten Nugent, some of the heavier Rolling Stones and stuff like that. And so that song didn't really give me a good taste in my mouth. But then later, um, in junior high, um, there was this um, lady named Cece Philpot. She was um, in our um, school, and they had a record player where you could... Um, play music during lunch at our junior high and so junior high I was about like maybe 10 or 11 I, I would say I was about 11 and um, 
they had they they or well ten and a half, and then they had um, but she brought in Aerosmith's Rocks, and then she played that, and I was like, whoa, and so I was like, I want to get their music, and so from then on, I I um had got pretty much everything that they could ever do up until and including rock in a hard place then i stopped but that's that's a story for another time but their um stuff was like i was a major fan yeah aerosmith rocks is a great album i actually me myself i got into aerosmith my mom would play the vinyl of a toys in the attic I remember she really liked the tip, the single, uh, the song, Big Ten Inch Record. As a kid, I didn't understand oh. what that meant. But when I got older, I go, yeah, here's suck on my Big Ten Inch Record. Yeah. And it plays, plays. I go, what in your window Steven Tyler had right there, man? That yeah, was freaking I, awesome. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even understand it back then either. I was like, a, you know, 10-inch record was just a like a 78 or something from like the 40s or 50s. I didn't think I I didn't even see that innuendo. Yeah, I, I got into them later in the 80s with Permanent Vacation was my first real Aerosmith album and first real concert with Dokken opened up for them at the oh. Beach Arena and they just blew my mind and I just went back and got uh, Toys in the Attic, Rocks, I never really got into the first album until I found out Dream On came off that. Oh, okay. Actually, um, the song Moving really got me into the first album when they played it on the MTV Awards one time. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, I, I found that, um, for me, the very first Aerosmith album is, like, to me, unlike any other album that they did. It's sort of like as if well, most of the songs, not all, but most seem to be written mostly by just Steven Tyler before Joe Perry really put his stamp in the group. But I really like it a lot. You know, it's it's like... It's one of those albums that makes an impression to me. Yeah. That, um, that it wasn't the first Aerosmith album that I heard. It probably wasn't even the second but when I heard it, I realized um, this was probably like a fresh new group who wanted to make a statement and they wanted to have a certain sound. And um, my brother Steve, by the way, he did say that the very first Aerosmith album he did like. So, so kudos to that too. So that was, so um, I, I find that not enough people have really either heard or heard of the first Aerosmith album. So I thought it, 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 it's, it's time for people to dig further into the ground and, and scoop up some of that old stuff. Yeah, this is, wonder, this is our first album and Rolling Stone gave it a scathing review. When it first came out, and it was also the ah. same, same year when Bruce Springsteen's first album came out. Bruce Springsteen didn't really hit his stride till people heard him live. 
because he really couldn't oh. record live. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And Rolling Stone and gave, originally gave it, like, a crap. You know, but now they're up to four stars <laughs> on it. <laughs> wow. They, yeah. they, they, they changed their mind depending upon who their buyership is during any particular generation. Yeah, Rolling Stone <laughs> you know? is a pile of shit now, man. I don't like mm. them. They're really idiots. They didn't like Led Zeppelin <laughs> when it first came out, but they changed their mind on them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I um, used to buy the Rolling Stone record review um, because I, you know, they had a lot of information, but I found that it's one of those things where you read about it and you don't always agree. In fact, it's like, Oh, I like your opinion. I mean, I I I disagree with probably ninety eight percent of what you said, but at least you have an interesting way of saying it. That's sort of how I thought about about Rolling Stone. Yeah, Rolling Stone really. I used as the eighties. I used to love Rolling Stone. Look at the back of the charts. See how my favorite albums are doing because I was into Poison, Def Leppard, uh, you know. Freaking Quiet Riot and all that shit was like really good at, back then, and they didn't really talk shit about them, you know. So that yeah. was cool. But now they talk shit about them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, I was reading about this album how in, uh, Aerosmith was mainly influenced by British rock blues bands of the 1960s, including the Rolling Stones, the Yardbirds, and Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. I never heard Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac, but I've heard the Rolling Stones and the Yardbirds. I, I, I need to go back and oh. listen to some oh. Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. Well, first off, I'll say my favorite period of the Rolling Stones is the Brian Jones period. Oh, hell that's, yeah. That's just it. And the Peter Green Fleetwood Mac, um, it's, it's hard for me to say how to compare it. I'd say if if you know any of the old kind of mellow bluesy Jethro Tull stuff from their earlier period, it kind of sounds like that. Maybe with a little bit of a John Mayall edge. Yeah, but I've, I've never heard those people. You, you've heard, never heard Jethro Tull? Or I've John heard Jethro Mayall. Tull. I've okay, heard of okay. John Mayall's Blues Breakers, but I've never heard any music by oh. them. Oh, well... Well then, um, Jethro Tull um, is is the way to think about it. Like, do you know the song "Someday the Sun Won't Rise" for you? No, I've never heard that. From from this was a uh, <laughs> okay. Well, okay, you have to kind of listen to an album called "Then Play On" by Fleetwood Mac. Then you'll know because <laughs> otherwise I'll be like saying, "Have you heard?" <laughs> well, I've got, I've got I can go on for hours. Like I got that. into Fleetwood Mac like with, with Buckingham and Nicks, man. I love their their solo album called Buckingham and Nicks. Oh, really great too. Oh, if you've heard Buckingham Nicks, think about maybe I, I think there's a song called Frozen Love, or something like that, or whatever the last song is, or you you know the the Buckingham Nicks album. Yeah, I have it in my iTunes. Yeah, I, I think I think the last song, I'm not sure if it's called Frozen Love, or something like that, something love, but but the last song in there, it's kind of a moody sort of like blues piece. That's sort of like how old Fleetwood Mac sounded. 
Yeah, it was called Frozen Love Song Track. Track yeah. 10 in 7 minutes and 19 seconds. Damn. Yeah, that that sort of sounds like, like old Peter Green blues. Dang, wasn't, um, wasn't Fle- freaking Stevie Mac. Nicks hot back then? Damn. <laughs> huh? I said, I wonder if Stevie Nicks tucked her shirt in for you. <laughs> I, I hope she does so now. You know, I, I and thank you. I, I I'm I'm gonna have to make a cover album for her and 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 tell her to please tuck in her shirt for me, um, and then I'll give her the cover album. And I'm sure she'll be she'll still not respond, just like those others who, after 20 tweets, they still don't respond. <laughs> well, at least, you, at least you didn't get blocked by Andrew Jacobs by like Rosie O'Donnell. He went off on her, and she uh, blocked him from her Twitter. <laughs> oh, um, well, I don't necessarily love Rosie O'Donnell, so um, I haven't even checked to see whether she has blocked me, because I've never even posted to her. You know? <laughs> All right, well, let's get in this debut album by 19, uh, from 1973, uh, Aerosmith. Track one, Make It. What do you think about this one? Oh, yeah. Well, um, I will say that when I heard it, the guitars kind of had a little bit of a fuzzy sound, which sounded like there was hair on my needle, which I don't remember at the time it being the case when I heard it on my album. But then again, I didn't have the world's best sound system, but I had a good one. But the song itself and the powerful guitar part it's one of my favorite early Aerosmith songs. It has a good pumping beat, and it it sounds like something I wish I could have written. That make it do da 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 da, kind of like that. That 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 sounds like something that I wish I could have done back then. I yeah. didn't though, but they did, and it was really good. Yeah, it's a really good song, but the production is really, really bad. Steven Tyler said they were uptight during the making of this this album, so he was trying to sound like he didn't sound like he sounded like on the next album, Get Your Wings. But his voice is really, really, really like, uh, what do you call Not Steven Tyler-ish until he got to the second album. They were really oh, uptight yeah. on this album. I love this song. I like it live. When they when they have played it yeah. live, it's really good. I like the song yeah. a lot. And then we get yeah. to, then we get to somebody. What do you think about this one? Oh, uh, that's one of my favorites. Oh man, yeah, that 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 one's still fresh. And um, I think it was co-written by some guy who was an early member of. of another group or something with Steven Tyler, but I don't remember his name, but it's like, it's it's a really, really good song. It's probably one of my very favorites on this album. Yeah, it's a good song. It's written, co-written by uh, Steven Impact. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A yeah. guy I've never heard of before or since. No, but I kudos haven't either. to him. <laughs> really, really good song, man. This album is really good, but when they play it live, you could hear how it should have been. You know, I think they should. Oh, 
I think they really should go in and re re-record this album and just make it what it should have been. Because Steven Tyler's vocals were really lame, and I think he could have done it better. And he even said that he was trying to not make a mistake, and it really uptight during the recording. Even Joe Perry said that. Wow. I'll, I think that that would be a good idea. Um, yeah. I think that, um, especially since... Um, the new version of Aerosmith is apparently the old version of Aerosmith, you know, as far as the same members. Um, yeah, I um, think that no no better group of people could do it. You know, they, they would definitely do a good job. Yeah, and then we get to the most famous song on this album, track three, Dream On. Which wasn't a hit until they re-released it in 1976. What do you think about this one? Um, I'll tell you what I think of it now. Believe it or not, I heard it now, and I didn't see anything wrong with it. I, I, I actually liked it. I thought it was a good song, and I thought, well, at the time that I first heard it, when I was more into more heavy, kind of fast stuff, I was hearing this... Duh, 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 duh. And I thought, I just want this song to end now, <laughs> you know. But um, but now, it just seems like a really cool song. It, it doesn't seem like what I thought back then. But um, to me, um, listening to it seemed like the production on this particular song also sounded a little bit clearer, like... Like, there was something about this that sounded like it sort of got preserved in its own sound vinegar, you know, where it didn't get musty. And so, um, yeah, I now I'd say it's also one of the better songs on there. Maybe not my very favorite. I don't want to give too much of a concession to it, but... Maybe one of my second favorites. Yeah, it's a very classic song, and I don't think it's that bad on this production on this album. I think this is the best product production of on this album, actually. Yeah. And they really did a good job, and they took their time with this. Steven Tyler's voice sounds the same as he would sing it now. And oh, okay. That's the only reason. But the other songs that Steven Tyler sings on here, it's really, really he was not in the pocket and he wasn't doing his Steven Tyler thing till he got to rocks actually even get your wings was a little not Steven Tyler she really went for it on rocks you know oh okay um, but I like this, this song a lot this is a classic song I really never get tired of it I even like the MTV 10 version of it with the hmm. Michael Kamen orchestra I think this song is really bombastic and I like it a lot Oh wow! I never heard that MTV version. I, or if I did, I totally forget. I should check that out. Yeah, it's really good. It has Michael Kamen doing the orchestrations on it. He also did the orchestrations on uh, S&M by Metallica. A lot of people don't like it. Oh, I like it. I like it. And he did Queensrÿche, the Real World from the Last Action Hero too. Wow. Yeah. Oh, oh, Michael Kamen. Um, I'll just say real quickly. Um, he was in the group called New York Rock and Roll Ensemble. 
And if you can find on iTunes or if you were lucky enough to find a CD of their album called Roll Over, I suggest you listen to it. That That's a really, really good rock album. Anything by them is good. But I'm assuming that Roll Over is probably the only album that they probably care to redo on CD. And it has a song, Fields of Joy, which Michael Kamen wrote, and Lenny Kravitz later uh, covered it. And Lenny Kravitz did an okay version of it. In fact, who would have thought that he would cover it? But but the original... The original Lenny Kravitz. Not but, the but pop the, Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> he, huh? Not the pop in Lenny Kravitz. Like I, the, I agree there. Like the first three albums was... Let Love Rule and all that, yeah. Yeah, and freaking Circus was a great oh, album yeah. by him, man. Yeah. Rock and Roll is Dead. Oh, man, oh, that song wow. is awesome. Yeah, but but yeah, so um, that album rock by the New York Rock and Roll Ensemble called Roll Over... Um, that one is a pretty good one to get if, if you find it on iTunes. Cool. Just thought that I would mention that. And then we get to One Way Street, track number four. What do you think of this one? Oh, wow. That's probably my other number one favorite. That That is what made me feel this is one of my favorites of the early period Aerosmith albums. Um, it, it has a very good what I would call kind of bluesy, jazzy feel to it. It's 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 just um, toe-tapping good. And, yeah, this this one is, um, yeah, I, I just really love it. Nice, yeah, it's a great song. I like this song a lot. And it's, it's the longest song on the record, seven minutes, man. Back then in 73, making a seven-minute track, you know. You know this wasn't going to be a single. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, huh. a, it's a great freaking, like you said, toe-tapping song. I like it a lot. And we get to track number five, which was covered by Guns N' Roses on Lies. I love this song, Mama Ken. What do you think about it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is, this is going to be strange because now listening to it again it, it it is slightly seems a little bit like I've, I've heard it maybe um, almost too much like it was always my favorite tune so I can't I can't dismiss that but now it, it seems a little more like listening to it again and after rehearing Dream On and rehearing some of the others it seems like Mamakin um, is a little less exciting for me now, but maybe that's just because of my mood at this moment. But one thing that I thought of was, because there's like, I think, a saxophone in a little bit of it. Uh, you mentioned Bruce Springsteen earlier. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, it made me think, Bruce Springsteen could have probably done a good cover, like, it ain't easy talking about the da, 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 da. <laughs> You know, like, 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 like to me, if you went, oh, oh, mama, kid, you know, like that. I mean, I, I think he could do a good job of it. You know, I, so, I mean, it, it sounded to me kind of Bruce Springsteen, um, 
like in that sense, but I dug that aspect of it, but, you know, I doubt that he would do it, but, but, no, it's not at all a bad song, it's just maybe of the songs on here that I've heard, it's the one that seemed a little, um, more like, oh, I've heard this before than the other songs, which didn't give me that feeling. Yeah, this is one of the songs that got me into the album, this and Moving Out. You know, I heard it Dream On so bad, so much, uh, I didn't really care to go revisit this album until I heard a Moving Out in this one. Uh, oh, Mama yeah. Ken, you know, keep in touch with Mama Ken, boom, boom, tell oh, where yeah. you're gone and done, you gone and been, you know. It's, oh, freaking, yeah. it's a freaking great rocker, and David Woodford did the saxophone on this. Oh, okay. And uh, I never, I think I when never they heard do, that. When they do it I mean, live, I never knew. When they do it live, I don't think they use the saxophone, and I think it's a lot better. The saxophone kind of bogs down to me. Oh, I, I'd be into hearing a version of it without the saxophone. I do, I, I do agree that it might sound even better without the sax. Yeah, and uh, I think Guns N' Roses did it without the sax, and when they done it live on MTV a couple times, it was really with no sax, so... I think oh, it's yeah. way better with the Zax. I think they went over production on this. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a great rocker, but I, I like it better live. And then we get oh, to wow. uh, track six, Write Me a Letter, which also has the saxophone on it. What do you think oh. about this one? I This one I really love. Um, it, it, it gives me that, that old style, like, bluesy jazz feeling, kind of like, um, maybe like a old 1950s blues jazz like I can't say like Louis Armstrong or nothing but I would say they probably heard old stuff like Louis Armstrong and um, maybe I, I don't know who else but um, people who had that kind of da, da, maybe even Tony Bennett but just people who had that swing like da Da, 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 kind of sound, and then they decided to do something that was both rocking and kind of kickback, cool jazz blues style. And it's it's probably my other favorite on here, as well as somebody, as far as my um two number one favorites. Yeah, Write Me a Letter is a pretty cool jam. I like it. I, I, I wonder what it sounds like without the saxophone, but I don't think they play yeah. this live anymore, you know. But, yeah. But we get to my song that got me into this album, which is number seven, Moving Out, when I saw him on MTV playing like in a, uh, the setting of Max's Kansas City where they debuted, I think, in Boston. I think this is a great freaking song. What do you think about it? Oh, um, well, this is one of those songs, I never disliked it. I always kind of, um, was always on the edge of really, really liking it and not sure. But now when I hear it, I think of it like, this is the one song where Joe Perry gives his statement. Kind of like as if, okay, Steven, you had the dominating sound throughout most of this. I want to put my stamp on it. 
So even though they both co-wrote it, it sounds a little bit more like instead of a Steven Tyler song that Joe Perry contributed to, it sounds more like a Joe Perry song that Steven Tyler contributed to. And um, so it's kind of like, even though it's not a long song, I will say that um, it's sort of like Joe Perry's answer to Steven Tyler and Steven Tyler's one-way street. It's like, okay, Steven, you have your kind of definitive moment with your jazzy stuff on one-way street. Let me have my more um, basic, regular rocker on moving out. And now I, I like it a bit more because it, it it's like the more I hear it, the more forceful, without being really forceful, but the more I hear it, the more forceful it is. Kind of like, like someone walking towards you slowly but surely, and they mean business. Da, 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 da. Move in. Get Moving out. out. Okay, <laughs> sir. Yes, sir. Okay, please don't hurt me, sir. I like you, sir. Kind of like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a rocker, man. And Joe Perry, this is the second longest song on the album, akin to One Way Street. It's like five yeah. minutes, three seconds, and One Way Street is seven minutes. But Joe Perry, yeah, I agree, put his stamp on this song, and it's freaking awesome. It's like when uh, the Joe Perry Project did Let the Music Do the Talking. And then they redid it for Done With Mirrors, man. It was a lot better. Oh. Wow. Yeah, um... I like... I like some of Joe Perry's, um... Joe Perry Project stuff. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna say I liked all of their stuff, but I did find some of his songs I really, really did like a lot. Yeah, Let the Music Do the Talk, and they redid it on Done With Mirrors, and that... That is a definitive version for me. Oh, oh, yeah. okay. Really good own. song. I love moving. When I saw when, this is the song that got me into this this album because I go fucking moving out. Where's that from? And I start looking wow. it up and I go, oh man. But the live version on MTV was awesome. Was way better. Cause moving, I'm getting out. It was like dirty and sleazy. I love oh, it. Oh, live that sounds this, like this, my thing. This band is just like. This band is like the original American sleaze band, and they just didn't get it to like rocks. You know what I mean? But oh. when they do these songs live, yeah, it's a lot better. Except for Dream wow. On, sounds the same to me. But all these other songs, when they do them live, if they do them live, they really put their stamp on it, and they. I really think this album should be re-recorded, in my opinion, because it had bad production from uh, Adrian Barber. He really did a crappy production on it because yeah. you know Joey Kramer's drums are a lot better sounding than that, and yeah. Tom Hamilton's bass and it's is like a lot more wicked. Yeah, and it's like when you think about the other albums that Adrian Barber produced, uh, what? You know, it's like what? You know, um, I I, I haven't. <laughs> that's Adrian Barber. Who the hell is he? Is is that like Joey Fishneck? Or you know what, you know I I don't know, but um, but I mean, yeah I I agree with you that um, the production wasn't that good, 
and that um, the songs, though, are definitely... Um, I would really like to hear a good new version of this album. I would, too, man. I wish I would go in and just do a re-recording of it, man, because it's such a killer album. The songs are there. It's just the production just killed it to me. It's like, yep. it just... Joey Kramer's drumming is a lot better than what you yeah. hear in this album. It's oh, like, definitely. In fact, on, on a couple of songs, I thought, who's that on drums? Is that little eight-year-old boy with a with a like a Tootsie Pop um, banging on a Lincoln Log box? Yeah, I know. I was like, you know, Joey Kramer has a boom, 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 boom. He even sells his beats online, you know. Yeah. So I was like, what the hell was this shit when I went back and listened to it? Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, but I still, I, I still can imagine what he probably sounded like. Yeah. Who yeah. was the producer on Toys in the Attic? He was like the uh, long-time producer. I can't remember right now. I think Jack Douglas. Yeah, Jack Douglas. He's the one who got their sound, man. Oh, he, yeah. And well, but, Jack Douglas is, is, I think, one of the five, without without knowing who, I mean, I can't name all the five, but I mean, let's just say one of the five best producers of the 70s. Oh, hell yeah, and then he fucked up on their last album, though, when he came back with them. <laughs> uh, uh, well, um, which album is that? Uh, what was that? I'm trying to look right now. Well, I mean, was that was that within the last few years? Yeah, that was their last album they released. It was okay. Well, they then, had, they um, had too many songs on it. Not dancing on Bobo, was it? No, honking on oh. Bobo was actually good. <laughs> oh, because um, because now you're talking about there's a whole bunch of Aerosmith albums that it was I it, avoid music from like avoiding dimension. a landmine, huh? Music from another dimension. Oh, okay, yeah, I've heard of it. I think, I, I mean, um, I will kind of um, say very meekly that, yes, I've tried occasionally once in a while to hear some of the later Aerosmith albums, and I find after 10 seconds, I'm like, I'm done. Yeah. Music from Another Dimension, if you would have made it shorter, I think it has some good songs on it. It has some good rockers. The bonus tracks are better than what was originally on the album. But Jack, they brought wow. Jack Douglas back in for it, but they didn't let him do his job, in my in my opinion. Yeah. Shame on them. Yeah, and then we get to the, the last song, which is a cover, Walking the Dog. What do you think about this one? Oh, yeah. Uh, Rockin' the Dog. This is where you can hear them doing Rat's version of it. Ha ha. <laughs> um, uh, you know, um, um, Rat did their version of it. Um, I've heard Rufus Thomas do it live, the original guy who did it, and um, it's kind of cool, but Aerosmith totally rules on this one. It, To me, even though it's a cover tune, I think it's the closest to sounding like what Aerosmith would be doing on their later albums like um if like maybe something that they could have done on toys in the attic or 
um, maybe even on Draw the Line or something like that, it sounds a little more like this was this was um, their beginning of what their sound would continue to be, um, and and I, I I really dig it. It's it's a it's a good cover tune. It's um, it's good because it surpasses the original. It's to me, it's right on. Yeah, I agree with you. This is where you see Aerosmith what they're gonna sound like in the later years, with uh, Draw the Line and stuff like that, and and uh, Toys in the Attic. This is a great freaking song, and you know the original pressing of this song was Walking the Dig. Oh. <laughs> so well, if you ever have, if you ever find a copy of Walking the Dig, buy it because uh, that'll be worth a lot of money to you, buddy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well. Um, depending upon whether or not I'm drunk or sober, I might, I might, um, look at walking the dig and thinking, uh, uh who, what, what's wrong with this? You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll be thinking, I want to find a version that, that's called walking the dog. Cause anyone who would misprint walking the dig, they're misprinting a really cool sounding title. So it depends upon my my state of mind, but now I'll, I'll if I find one, um, I'll definitely buy it, even though I don't have a record player. Yeah, record players are cheap on Amazon. You can get like a good one for ninety nine bucks, dude. Oh wow, um, a That's good one got... meaning meaning without without a needle that looks like a pebble. <laughs> Well, I got an Audio Techniques for ninety nine dollars, and I've been li- I've been li- buying a lot of records from Needle in the Groove, like used oh. records. They're really, it's on a Facebook group. You just oh, go wow, on there and they cool. post albums, and you go want, and you'll buy them, and you pay for them on PayPal. They're really good, man. I got wow. some things from those guys, man. I got a lot of new albums, and I'm so happy. That's cool. Yeah, um, Nate Asterson who's been on this podcast is the one who will turn me on to them. And, and they have right another on. group called uh, Vinyl Seconds that's really good, too. Oh, wow. Yeah, you, they just sell used vinyl, but they play them, and they tell you that they're good, and there's no skips, so you buy them, and they're really good. Wow. Man. Well, that's well, that's good, because um, um, one thing that that back when I got albums, like when I got Dynasty... The one thing that really annoyed me with I Was Made For Loving You was not the song. It was the fact that the song skipped. And I remember when I first bought that album by Kiss, I had gotten some, like, um, record cleaner and a cleaning pad. And before I even played the album, I cleaned it. And it skipped. And so I thought, what the hell... Did I buy record skipper or record cleaner? <laughs> and 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 so that that was that that so um, if for all you listeners out there who buy vinyl, I would say before you clean your album, at least test them first, because I'd say at least give them breathing room to accept the needle, because if if you clean it first 
who knows, you might be putting a bunch of junk soap or whatever on the on the groove first, so... Well, the, um, guy, the guy told yeah. me on the record group to use uh, distilled water and buy, the oh, clean, yeah. buy uh, cleaning pads that are really good for it. Because I was... With the album we reviewed last time was, uh, what, uh, Seven and a Ragged Tiger by Duran Duran. I got that yeah. vinyl from a thrift store and that freaking thing went reflex blah, blah, blah. it skipped more than it said reflex oh my word and I, and I looked at it there's no scratches on it but I cleaned <laughs> it and it came out a little better but I need to get a real record cleaning solution because that pissed yeah. me off I told my girlfriend turn that shit off it's pissing me off <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. I found certain songs that I thought oh you mean the song that goes no one loves you like I, sugar, sugar. It's really, no one loves you like I do, my sugar, sugar. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I really hate skipping. It gives me a headache. So, uh, uh. this album actually went didn't go platinum till 1986, double platinum. And huh. it, went, it went gold in 1976. But uh, it took a while for people to catch on to it. It's a really good album, just bad production. Um, I just want yeah. to... Wh what albums would you recommend for our fans right now? Oh, I'm thinking... Um, I'll, I'll say... Well, there's a group called Spirit that... Um, Wasn't Alan Gratzer in there from Aria Speedwagon? Uh, no. I mean, he, he he looked like one of the members of the group with longer hair. But, um... Oh, but I will say really, really quickly that of Ario Speedwagon, their second album called TWO is really awesome. Um, that's, that's the album that I think people should get and forget about their later stuff. But anyway, the group Spirit, they, um... Oh! One of the guys in Spirit, Mark Andes, he's in Heart now. So, oh, wow. not that, not that I, to me, that that's like saying Noel Redding of the Jimi Hendrix Experience is now playing with Justin Bieber or something. You know, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't impress me. But um, Spirit, um, they they um, had, well. One album that I really liked that I was um, talking about sometimes on Rock and Mail Combat podcast is a Lair album, or their uh, last one with the original group, Twelve Dreams of Doctor Sardonicus, which I'm not gonna say avoid. In fact, I say rush out there and listen. But instead, I'm going to recommend their first album, just called Spirits, and that has the song Taurus which people say Led Zeppelin took the idea for Stairway to Heaven from. But we're talking only 10 seconds worth. There's there's so little difference between those two songs. But they also have a song called Fresh Garbage, which is really cool, and one called Mechanical World which is a really trippy, weird song that I could see Queenstrike covering, even though it's not extremely heavy. And um, But, yes, yeah, Spirit. It's their first album. 
and um, if if you um, find it, it has songs like um, Fresh Garbage and Uncle Jack and Taurus and um, um, Mechanical World and it's 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 probably yeah they they keep re-releasing their stuff on CD so you know you could probably find it and it's um, really cool and um, uh, Randy California the guitar player he he had played with Jimi Hendrix long before Hendrix was in the um, the Hendrix experience. It was just like I think they just jammed or something, but yeah. And um, they were a pretty good group. And um, Jay Ferguson and Mark Andes, of uh, they were also in JoJo Gun, which is another group that if you find anything by them, um, they're worth checking out. But to keep it at that one album, I'll, I'll say Spirit, their their first album. It, it has a the picture shows like it's like almost like I could imagine Kiss doing a cover like that, except instead of their all of their faces, it's like kind of like half or like one fourth of a square shows part of one guy's head and and like one eye. And then the other square shows another part of a head and another eye. And their hairdos are so different. And one of the guys just has, like, no hair. So that it's it's a very strange-looking cover. But, yeah, spirit. Yeah, I was just reading about them because I really thought I saw Alan Gratzer in a video in the 80s with them. I guess huh. not. Maybe, oh, oh, he wasn't maybe, in there, but I read that uh, I got a Maybe later he could have. I got the song I Got a Line in You was recently oh. covered by Alice Cooper's supergroup Hollywood Vampires, which oh. had Alice Cooper, Perry Farrell on vocals, guitar Joe Perry, Johnny Depp, Tommy Hendrickson, Bruce Wilkin on guitars, drums Abe LaBelle Jr., bass Kip Winger, and background vocals Perry Farrell, and Tommy Hendrickson, and Bob Ezrin. I'm going to have to check that out because I have no idea how it sounds, but I like Perry Farrell, and I'd be very... I, I have no idea how he will be doing it, but, but I, but I'd be interested in finding out, because he's pretty cool. I would love to hear. I've heard some songs by Hollywood Vampires, and it they sound really good. I need to grab this album. You know, it's Alice Cooper, man. Come on. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Cool. And Johnny Depp on guitar. I heard. I seen them on the Grammys, and they really kicked ass. Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully he plays guitar better than he acts. No, he he acts pretty well. I'm he just he acts pretty good, except he kind of copies himself with that act, with that Jack, Jack, yeah. uh, whatever that pirate accent he does in all the yeah. accents the same in every movie. Um, yeah. And then we get I get to the album I want it. Well, it's the same year as his Aerosmith album came out as we talked about it earlier. Buckingham Knicks. Which is, I think, out of print right now, but you can find oh, yeah. it maybe on a torrent site or something. It's a really good album. I oh, love definitely. it. definitely. It's like their album that gave Fleetwood... Hey, let's like try these guys out in Fleetwood Mac. And I've seen Fleetwood Mac in concert once without um, the keyboard player, Christy, Christy something. Christy but, McVie? Yeah, Christy McVie, and they were really good. And then the next year, she came back, and I go, that bitch... <laughs> wow! I was going, Shit! I saw them without her, and then they come back. Then she goes back in the lineup the next year. I was really pissed. 
damn, that's yeah. that's strange because she did a good album. Like one of her last albums is really good, but then she later on went on to say it wasn't that good of an album, and she much preferred this other album. And I heard it, and it's like, are you kidding me? <clears throat> you mean someone must have put a gun to your head to make you do good music? <laughs> but her early stuff is awesome. But Christy McVie um, is not my favorite singer in Fleetwood yeah. Mac. It's Lindsey Buckingham. And then Stevie oh, Nicks yeah. is second. And then uh, Christy is third. But I love Lindsey's solo albums. That guy is such a weirdo. Uh, Gift of Screws yeah. is a really good album by him. I freaking I'm going to have to check out more of his solo stuff because um, I had Law and & Order. And at that time... I was like, next. <laughs> and the the stuff that he did on Tusk, I that really disturbed the hell out of me. It's like the, the rest of the album I love, but I thought, why the hell did they put his shit on there? Yeah. You know, I was like like, um I'm I'm gonna have to hear Tusk again and and get really drunk so I don't mind his work and then I'll I'll listen to what what was that album that that you just said of Gift of him? Gift of Screws. Um, what screws? Gift of Screws. Get the screws. Okay, I'll um, I'll. Uh oh. I really do love no. some work in Buckingham Nicks, and I like his general guitar playing, especially on the songs he did not write on Tusk. And so, yeah, I'm pretty sure that that there's something out there of his that I that I might like. Yeah, he's really he has some good solo albums. I remember in the eight um, the 80s, I got a lot of good shit by him. It's not the I go insane shit, you know. I love that song. Oh though. yeah, go insane oh, or yeah. Holiday Road from uh, from oh, uh, my Christmas God. No, no, from no, Vacation. No, that was kind of poppy. But he had some good, yeah. really guitar albums that he. Really, oh yeah. He really did good on it. I really enjoy Gift of Screws is one of his latest ones, and an album before that was really good too. He he oh. got out of that pop shit and just went back to what he wants to do. You there? <laughs> I lose you. Uh oh. You there? Lee, you there? Oh. What's going on now? You there? Hello? Yeah, I'll, I'll just say, when, when I heard Say You Will... Um, mm -hmm. I thought, holy hell, some of this stuff is some of the best stuff that Fleetwood Mac has ever done. Yeah, you know? Say You Will is a great album, man. I love that album. Oh, yeah. That that actually sounds even more... That, that sounds a lot like, now that I'm reminded of it, if you're wondering about old Fleetwood Mac with Peter Green, mm -hmm. some of that stuff sounds like that. Yeah, it was a great album. That didn't have uh, Kristen McVie on it. But I thought it oh. was a great album. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe she was the 
was the wart that they needed to remove. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, I love her old stuff with Chicken Shack. Um, if, if, if you ever look up that old group, Chicken Shack, that was before Fleetwood Mac. That was, she was bluesy and good. But yeah, on, um, in Fleetwood Mac, she just totally turned pop and yeah. was not, I meant... I took a trip. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't my favorite. No, it wasn't that good. Okay, the <laughs> album I was trying to remember, I just looked it up. Out of the Cradle, 1992. Great freaking Lindsey Buckingham album. Oh, okay. Really great album. It's got like about 16 songs, a lot of instrumentals. Then he had a Seeds We Sold in 2011, Under the Skin in 2006. He is better than the 80s shit he was doing, man. Sounds like I'm going to need to listen to some Lindsey Buckingham tonight. Yeah, really good shit. Good to Screws is 2008. Great albums he did. Uh, wow. What are your three favorite songs off this uh, Aerosmith album? Oh, um, I would say my, my very favorites would have to be Somebody, One Way Street, and Write Me a Letter. Got it. All right, Leah yep. would like to thank you for this time you gave me on this great this great opening album by a Hall of Fame group. Oh, I, thank you, and I really enjoyed our conversation. I did too. I'm sorry we cut off for a second, but I'll try to edit it. I'm not as good as Ralph, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> oh, um, hey, I'm I'm the guest. People, people, um, expect a little bit of a screw up. All right, man. <laughs> Lee, you have a good night, and I'm going to go take a shot okay. of some uh, whiskey. <laughs> Cheers, bro. I'm going to I'm gonna have some vodka and pretend it's whiskey also. And see how this election okay. comes out, man. All right, man. Take it okay. easy. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye.
Those are some kick-ass tracks. Now I want to promote some podcasts for my friends. We got Metal Raps. We got the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with Dr. Fuck, Rob Fiera, and Ian Wadley. One-on-one with Mitch LaFon. Talking Metal, Cheap Trick with Cheap Track with Ken Mills. And in Podkiss, The Kiss Room. Focus on Metal, Decibel Geek with Aaron. With Aaron Camaro and uh, Chris Sinzak. And in Zilch, a Monkey's Podcast. And then I like to also promote the Eddie Trunk podcast and the Ka- Cassius Morris show, man. These guys are kick-ass podcasts, and I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast, and God bless, man.